Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks, where we teach you how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest money, how to learn to do it with a team, and very alternative strategies. So every week we have someone on from money, marketing, sales, finance. Coming soon will be more cryptocurrency. I know a lot of you want to know about that. And a really, really big one, which is a global cannabis fund. So stay tuned. Lots of conversations coming up on Laurel's Real Money Talks. Today, though, we're going to talk about what every one of you need if you want to make money, which is customers. So how do you acquire a customer? So with me today is Martha Hanlon, dear friend, longtime instructor of our big table, our community member. So let's start, Martha, just with some introductions and tell them how amazingly fabulous you are. (laughs) Well, thank you. What a fabulous way to start our question. So, Laurel, you and I have known each other since 2004. I did one of your very first tables together. I've facilitated and taught up there, I think, since 2006. And on my own, I have a business called Wide Awake Business. My specialties are working with small business owners. And I think now, Laurel, I just say that we work to take the scary parts out of being in business. And much of the scary part is marketing, sales, business development, team development. How do small businesses go about doing that? And so that's some of my background. I got an MBA from one of those big schools called Wharton, and I've been out on my own working in small businesses of my own making since 2002. That's a little bit of my fabulous background. And it is fabulous. So let's talk about what we do. We do a lot of similar things in acquiring customers, very aligned on that. But talk about the survey that you have, that you do or encourage your clients to do every year. Yeah. Just to discover what are the challenges. And I know you've done this yourself. So I have two questions. Why do a survey? And the other part is what were your findings for this year? That's great. So why do the survey? Well, I think we do the survey because we all get stuck in that spot where we think we know. We think we know what's going on in the mind of our customers. But gee, wouldn't it be nice if we just asked them? And so there's always some built-in prejudice in a survey because there's a certain group of people who answer it, a certain group of people who don't answer. But I would much rather get some answers than nothing at all. So every year for the last three years in January, we send out a survey on social media. We send it out to our database and we ask them, what do you anticipate your three big challenges are for this coming year? And the answers for 2018, frankly, are just about the same that we've seen in the last couple of years. And that is the number three biggest challenge is I don't have enough time. What a surprise. Number two biggest challenge is I don't have enough customers. And the number one answer, the number one thing that they believe will be their biggest challenge in 2018 is themselves, which always frightens me because of all three of them, that's the trickiest, but it's also the one that should be the easiest for us to just step up and manage. As you say, you know, act the part until, you know, fake it till you make it. Yeah, act and yep. act as if you're amazing. You know what's interesting about those as well, though, is that them knowing that they're going to be in their own way and then time, because time, we all have the same clock. So, you know, as I say, if you don't have time, it's usually you don't have that team or the right team. 
because you're consistently being consumed by menial tasks. And yet they're not tasks that don't need done. I think that's the other part that, you know, we constantly have to bring into this conversation. It all needs done. You just don't need to do it as the owner. I think that's just so pivotal for people to start sharing. Absolutely. Right. There are in the hierarchy of things, things that are critical to your business. As one of my clients said a couple of weeks ago, I finally understand what you're talking about. If I don't do these things, I die. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good description of it. Don't do these things. These are critical. You don't do them. Your, your business or you are going to die. The other things are important. Somebody else can do them. And some of the things are just housekeeping and definitely other people can do them. And you see this every year. People have a hard time stepping up the team. And the question that I ask them is usually pretty simple. As an example, do you have a hard time picking up the phone and calling people and setting appointments? Yes, I don't like to do that. Okay. So if you paid someone $15 an hour, $17 an hour to make an appointments for you, got someone who's good on the phone, they like to pick up the phone and call, and they set appointments for you, would you show up for the appointment? And of course, everyone says yes. So go spend 15 to $17 an hour. How many hours is it possibly going to take in the course of a week for them to set appointments for you? Two hours? How much money will you sell if you just sell one person something because you go to an appointment? So I think as we start thinking about where we spend our time, yes, we're all booked with stuff. And a lot of it, Laurel, this is the other one that kind of gets me. A lot of it, is somebody else's agenda. It's not ours, you know, email agenda, telephone call agenda, text message agenda. It's not our agenda. It's somebody else's. Yeah, you get some of that stuff under control. You don't have to work more hours. You just work smarter hours and do things that are more critical to your business as opposed to keeping your business tidy. <laughs> I'd rather have a lot of money than a tidy business. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm okay with my desk looking like something exploded on it. It's okay. As long as there's a lot of money coming into the bank. Exactly. I know where the checkbook is. What, what makes money is customers. So given that one of the three was, I don't have enough customers, talk about some of the marketing methods that are working right now. Has this changed drastically? And- it has. It has. It has. And one of the things that you and I were talking about earlier is people just over the moon about this idea that I'm going to get customers and build a nice size database and they're all going to come running to me if I'm on Facebook. Facebook is a great example, and LinkedIn is another one, but Facebook, let's start with, is a great example of something that's changed so completely. If anybody thinks that they're going to grow their business organically on Facebook, that's very like 2005. It's not happening anymore. There's an advertising company called Ogilvy, and they made a prediction about a year ago. It's called Facebook Zero. And their prediction is they're watching organic growth in terms of businesses coming onto Facebook to organically build their business. And they're watching it head towards zero, which should be frightening for anybody who thinks that's the way they're going to build their business. On the other hand, what is working a little bit with organic in Facebook is video. You know, video is the new king and queen and prince and princess in Facebook. And while it's working okay for organic, better than anything else in Facebook, purposeful videos, advertising, Facebook Live, those kinds of things that are used in a more purposeful way are working very nicely to get people off of Facebook, to follow you over to your offer, to opt in. So they're now your prospect and you can work to turn them into your customer. So that's something that's working pretty well right now. Facebook Live. Every Tuesday I do lunch with Laurel. Every 12 noon, I go live on Facebook and talk about whatever I want to talk about. Sometimes it's extremely high content. 
sometimes it's just chatting about the new tax reform or new law or sessions, you know, comment about, you know, the cannabis world or the Super Bowl, but whatever. But it's interesting. How do you get more traffic to those videos? I think is a lot of people's questions, mine included. Yeah. So getting more people to the videos is first a function of starting to do them with some regularity so people can anticipate them, building the value of the content, giving them an opt-in, because it's nice that they're on the video. The second step is, of course, getting them off the video and get them into your world, because as long as Facebook owns them, Facebook owns them. You got to get them off. You got to get them into your world, and that's the offer. So people have not yet gotten super duper smart on how to use Facebook Live. So if you're doing live, and I know you are, you're not one of the billions of people, you're one of the thousands of people. So that's a step in the right direction. You've got a tool that has yet to be overused. I think the other way that you've got to get people into Facebook Live is a tried and true method in marketing. And that's, you don't do one thing to get people to come to one thing. So you're sharing the fact that you're going to be on Facebook Live with your database. You're sharing it. Boosts aren't working too much. Ads are better. You can put an ad in that Facebook Live is going to be coming soon. So there are other methods such as that that you can use to boost the number of people coming. Do it with some regularity. If you can do it almost like a Almost like a TV program where people can start to anticipate what time you're going to be on. That's always better than just the randomness of, okay, here we come. And we're watching people who are almost treating Facebook Live as an example, like a TV channel, start to boost their viewers. And then it's a function, as we talked about, of making a good offer so that someone's going to leave Facebook Live and say, man, I want what Laurel's talking about. I want that book. I want that tool. I want that whatever and go in and get it. So now they're in your database. So those are some of the things that we're watching on Facebook. And then what about LinkedIn? What are you seeing over LinkedIn? Now they've been purchased, they've shifted. Yeah. Yeah. So LinkedIn's frustrating, I think, for a lot of people right now. Microsoft, as most people know, acquired them a little over a year ago, and there's been tons of changes going on with LinkedIn ever since. They settle on a new algorithm, and then they change it. They center on a new algorithm, and then they change it. Here's some of the tips that we're watching in LinkedIn. First, you can, yes, go out and make connections. Ask for people who are your ideal customer. Ask them for a connection. And then do something. (laughs) The trick with LinkedIn is most people ask for the connection or get asked for a connection. They accept it. And then that's the end of the game. Go send that personal email. Just a little something. Like So when I send an email for a connection, I'm going out and asking them, so what do you anticipate is your biggest challenge in 2018? The survey question. I'm getting engagement because it's not canned. It's a surprise because most people don't do anything once you've got a Facebook connection, a LinkedIn connection, I'm sorry. And go back to those connections in the beginning and engage them. Ask them some questions. What's going on in their business? How well is it working? What do they anticipate the biggest issue? engage people. If they're your ideal customer, the other thing that you can do is offer them a 30-minute consultation. I appreciate the problem that you have. That's one that most of our businesses run into. Would you love to talk? There's ways that we can help your business. LinkedIn is about engaging. Like The same sorts of strategies that work on Facebook are not the strategies to use on LinkedIn. And I think right now, the issue with LinkedIn, again, is different than Facebook. Microsoft's continuing to play with their new baby. And as they play with it, 
the rules of engagement keep changing and how you can get more people to engage with you keep changing, except for one thing, and that's personal connection. And the thing that I watch people do the least on LinkedIn is once the connection's been made, they don't do anything with it. So it's, it's kind of a wasted asset. The other thing I thought was interesting, Wall, is HubSpot in 2016 did a survey about, they took 31 different industries and they took a look at where people, if you will, hang out on social media based on those 31 industries. So I think the other thing that's appropriate for people to think about is, is my customer on Facebook, is my customer on LinkedIn as two, to find business owners like me. So my customer might be on Facebook, but for social reasons, and they're not looking for people like me on Facebook, they're over on LinkedIn, or maybe they're on YouTube. And just, I thought this would be interesting for all your listeners, consulting. So coaching, consulting, those kinds of services, overwhelmingly, like way overwhelmingly, people are on LinkedIn looking for consultants, coaches, people of that sort. On the other hand, if you're looking at Facebook, Facebook's, according to HubSpot's survey, people who are on Facebook and are looking for clients, it's mostly products. It's things like travel, sports, movies. So if you had a product, Facebook would probably be a great place to be. If you have a service, LinkedIn's probably a better place to be. Interesting. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, I'm going to call them the biggest mistakes. You know, Facebook and then go over to LinkedIn. What are the biggest mistakes you consistently see people doing? I think the mistakes are the same between Facebook and LinkedIn. People believe, well, let's take Facebook first. I think people believe that they can still build a following on Facebook organically. And if there's someone listening to this and they say, well, I have done that. Well, you're the unicorn in the room. You're the one who is the outlier. And congratulations to you. But the big mistake that I'm still watching with Facebook is I'm going to have a Facebook page and I'm going to post things. I'm going to put pretty pictures on and maybe I'll even put some videos on and I'll build my followers and the number of people who like me. And yay, isn't that exciting? But nothing else happens. They're not your customers as long as they're on Facebook. They're Facebook's customers. They're Facebook's people. The biggest mistake I see, Laurel, is you have to encourage them, give them something that encourages them to leave Facebook to come over to your landing page, to opt in to get the thing so they're in your database so then you can begin to talk to them, to market them, to serve them. That to me is the biggest Facebook mistake. The biggest LinkedIn mistake is accepting a connection, asking for a connection, and then doing nothing with it. Thinking that's the, you know, wow, I've got a thousand people I'm connected with. So what? Post a blog there every week, post a video blog there every week, post a critical comment on something that happens a couple of times a week. Use it to build communication, to show off your expertise, to take your connections and actually make them more than connections, make them leads, make them prospects. Those to me are the two biggest faux pas. And then if I kind of flip it around and you see this all the time, what's the offer you're going to make to them? So now you've made them a free offer. What's the next offer you're going to make to them? What does your product funnel look like? You got them to opt in for the free thing. How do you continue to build that engagement? What comes next? So if I was going to take your question one step farther, my next step would be into product funnel. When I look at businesses, 
I would say product funnel is one of the top five reasons why businesses are broken. Say that again. When I'm working with businesses, I think a broken product funnel is easily in the top five reasons why a business is broken and not growing. Interesting. So here's the story that I've told many people. I use you as a great example. I know you could grab somebody new and tell them in a day and a half everything they need to know to be a millionaire or a multimillionaire to make money. I know you could do that. They can't absorb it. It's new. It's head-turning in some ways. It's mind-blowing in others. For you, you could teach them in a day and a half. You're, you're masterful. You're an expert. But they're not an expert yet. They're not even skillful yet at making money. And they need to go more slowly. They need it in bite-sized pieces. And I think the problem with the product funnel is so many people think, well, I'll just sell you one thing and I'll give it all to you in one step and you're good. And they're not because they can't absorb it. Interesting. Interesting. So do you give and how do you give client advice on setting goals on the new kind of customers? Should they get X number from Facebook, X number from LinkedIn? How do you help with the kind of just the customer acquisition goals and what they should be doing so they actually feel like they have a successful year? Because what we see also over and over and over, any level of documentation, they feel like they're spinning. And I mean, many times there's no metrics. Right, because we forget to, to do the measurement thing, or we don't put systems in place that enable us to measure. So I think the issue starts way at the beginning. There's a difference between people who are successful in business, of course, and people who are still struggling. And one of the big differences is people who struggle with their business have an idea. We all started our business because we had an idea. You started your business, Laurel, because you had an idea. I started my business because we had an idea. People who are struggling then go out and do things. They start doing this and they start doing that and they implement over here and they feel like they're juggling and they've got a thousand things on their to-do list and then their third step is they're frustrated. People who are successful have an idea and then they put a plan together. I remember years ago sitting in the back of the room with you at an event and you were doing something on your computer and I leaned over. It was, I don't know, maybe September, October. I leaned over and said, what are you doing? And you said, I'm starting to put our plan together for next year. With a plan, you then can know where to go to implement. You can figure out part of the plan is who's my customer. Because the answer does not start with anybody and everybody. We're small businesses. This, our success is in finding our target market. My business partner, Chris Williams, says we're looking for people with orange socks. Like you get that specific. When you know who your customer is, you can then start to figure out where to go to market. And I think this is that where we've been talking is often an issue that someone says, well, gee, you need to be on Facebook, yet your customers aren't on Facebook. So you just spend a lot of time that's not being productive. Gee, I don't like to pick up the phone and call. So you've got all these business cards laying on your table, but you haven't done anything with them from the networking group. When you're planning, part of the plan is who's my ideal customer? What do they look like? What's their age? What's their income? What's their behavior around the area that I operate in? And then I can start to figure out where are they? Okay, so maybe they're not Facebook people. Maybe they're Twitter people. Maybe they're YouTube people. They're very visual. Maybe they're not any of those things, and you need to start going to networking groups. One of the things that I think is true is when the clearer you get on the profile of your customer the clearer you're going to get on where to go to find them. And then, as you were saying, put metrics in place. Are we sending them to a landing page? 
Great. What are the statistics? How many emails did you send? How many people clicked on the email? How many people went to the landing page? How many people did what you asked them to do? Follow the trail. The statistics are going to tell you so much stuff. Yeah, great. You put a a website up. What's going on on your website? Do you send people to it? What pages do they go look at? How long do they stay? If you send out emails, you send them on a Wednesday at noon, what are your results? What would happen if you sent them Wednesday at 3 p.m. or Tuesday at 4? Play around a little bit to find the sweet spot. And then when you find the sweet spot, know it's going to be sweet for a little while and you're going to come back and change because people change. And the thing that I wish they would do, Laurel, and they just don't, is when people change, they don't send you, they don't send me, they don't send anybody a little email saying, hey, Laurel, I've changed. And instead of doing this, could you do this? I'm not going to read my email anymore at 6 a.m. in the morning. Could you send it at 6 p.m.? So we've got to stay on top of it. And your customers tell you, they just don't tell you. So if you're going to put systems in place, put the analytics in place. Perfect. Let's talk about just three things, four things, just some things like this year. I know you've talked about LinkedIn, Facebook Mm -hmm. uh, very well, doing a survey, the connectivity. Like you said, your clients are telling you what they want to do anyway, whether you're listening or not. So any other things to drive business this year? Because to me, I mean, I love you drive the marketing side. I drive that as well. But my my metrics are all KPIs and money in the bank. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best metric. Right. Did you produce revenue? Did you produce margin? Or did you just have a busy year and you're exhausted? Right. In my business this year, our, we look every year about November and we say, all right, so this is our goal. And here are the five critical success factors that have to be in play every single day in order for us to hit that number. If one of those five critical success factors isn't in play, the odds of us hitting the number are slim to none. And for us this year, improving our ROI, our return on our investment, our gross profit, our net profit, I should say, is one of our goals. So as every business is looking at themselves, I love the fact that your metric is money in the bank. For some, it's money in their pocket. If they've got a team, it's not just the amount of money that the business makes, it's the money they put into their pocket. It's being courageous and Asking the price for your services that you deserve. I was working with someone last week, one of um, one of the Live Out Loud clients, and she was asking seventy five dollars for a coaching session, and she's been a coach for twelve years. That's crazy. So you've got to get your prices to the right place, and then you can start having your metrics include things like how much money comes into the company at the bottom line after I've paid all my expenses. How much goes into my pocket? How much goes into my investment? So now my money can make money and I don't have to work so hard. When people have got the basic things out of the way and they're starting to really be serious about their business and they're really going to be serious about making money, they're going to manage the business to the metrics. They're going to manage the business to what the spreadsheet says, what the P&L says, what their cost of goods says, what their income says, Laurel. And I love that your metric is money in the bank. Perfect. My other big one on the investing side, and I'm really pushing with so many students this year, is it's not just about getting the business done. It's getting the business done so successfully, there is money to invest. What are you doing to put new money to work? And I think it's a huge indicator of what really then is true wealth for those that are really after that millionaire game. I love it. You'll love this story. So I've got a house 
full right now of 13 family and relatives. Big Super Bowl people. They're all Philadelphia's people. They're tired and hungover this morning. I have a 22-year-old nephew who just graduated from college, and he invested in cryptocurrency. And we're having a conversation last night about that versus the stock market versus he's working at a restaurant until he gets a job. And he's already looking at where can he go to make his money make money. Yeah, but that's pretty rare for uh, someone new. And yeah, it is. It is. It was a great conversation. (laughs) So, Martha, uh, any last tips before we head out of the podcast for today? And those of you that are listening, we always do an offer. It is go to asklaurel.com. At asklaurel.com, you will find uh, you put in your name, phone number, and email. You can ask a question. You can make a request to talk to Martha directly. But that is the place we use to have that more intimate interaction with you around what you think is podcast. And what we know also, if you love the podcast, you take it viral and send it through your Facebook and LinkedIn channels and continue this conversation about money. But before we leave, one last word of advice. It doesn't happen just because. It happens because you plan it. And then you take the plan and you begin to execute and know the plan's going to change. But if you're going to do it without a plan, best of luck to you. Do it with a plan. Yep. That's my, that's my team members. Oh yeah. Write it out and review it frequently. And you will be one of the 1% who succeeds because you have a plan, you review it, it's in writing and you make adjustments as you go. It's not hard. Well, Martha, I appreciate your time today. And thanks uh, for having me. You listen to Laurel's Real Money Talks, where we talk about money in every category and every corner of that conversation. So continue to join us. We are uh, live every Thursday. We bring a uh, podcast live, and it's first thing in the morning. So you should wake up to it and take it on a run, take it on a walk, take it on a drive. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit laurelsrealmoneytalks.com for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth-building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit laurelsrealmoneytalks.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.